Let's pray, and uh, we'll get into the message. Um, God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to gather and worship. Um, I thank you for a balcony that's, that's full of people, and um, God, we just thank you for the diversity that we have between our churches here. Um, God, we thank you for the Spirit who is among us, who moves in power for your glory. God, I pray that you would do with this service more than we can do. Um, God, I pray that you would um, move and give me words better than the words that I've prepared. And God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of the individuals who are here, whether they walk in far from you or whether they walk in having walked with you for generations. God, I pray that we would be encouraged in our faith and that the time we spend together would just shape the coming days, not just our holiday seasons, but the rest of our lives. Amen. So we've gathered here in the morning. Um, the tradition maybe on Christmas Eve is more, um, more often in the evening, and that's because in Luke's account of the shepherds and the angels, and as well as a lot of our songs, we, we seem to see that the manger scene is placed in the evening. A few minutes ago we sang, O Holy Night, and I will not sing it to you, but I just want to share, amen, preach, um, I just want... I just want to share the first verse with you. I'll read it to you. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining, we don't use that word, but meaning longing. Long lay the world in sin and error, longing and waiting and anticipating till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. Meaning in that moment, those who capture who Jesus really is and what God has done in entering into the creation and coming to our neighborhood and becoming a man, they grasp for the first time ever what we were made for. That we were made to worship this King. Till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, a new beginning for each of us and for all of us. Now, um, at Mosaic in the holiday season, we've actually um, preached through um, some of these Christmas carols. And I didn't draw this one. I wanted this one, but Rob, Rob got lucky on this one. So I, I don't get to preach the whole thing. But I decided I could steal one line. Because he did, he did a whole sermon. And the one line that I want to zoom in on for our time together, it's the second to the last of what I read. It says this, it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Notice it's not the joyful who are adding to their joy, it is the weary world that is rejoicing in this moment, which raises the question, are any of you weary this morning? Have any of you come here today eager to celebrate, desiring, to worship God and yet you are tired or discouraged or you're just getting into the holiday season and you know that this is the time that you're supposed to be making great memories with your family and either maybe there isn't as much family as you want to be there or there's a little bit of estrangement or they're right there but you're more inclined to like kick the dog and snap at the kids than you are to worship Jesus and make great memories with your family because you're tired. Um, And you feel this added pressure, like this is the time that's supposed to be joyful, and I'm not joyful, I know I'm doing it wrong, I don't know how to do it right. 
Um, for some of you, maybe you're in a season of life where, um, <laughs> where, where it is all joy. Like there's, there's, there's some who are gathered here who are literally like five and six and seven year olds. And to be that age on Christmas morning, you know, it's cloud nine's got nothing on that. And, you know, so that's great. Glad to have you. And again, for some of you, um, you're exactly the same. Like I am long past seven. And yet, yeah, it's Christmas, you know, put on the Christmas sweater, I'm, I'm here, I'm excited. If that's you, praise God, and hopefully I'll have something for you. But I want to I wanna speak to the weary. I want to speak um, maybe to some of you, you're in a season of life for whom uh, the holiday season means more work. Um, you, got, you got paper cuts on every finger from every present that you have wrapped, and, um, and there's more work on the horizon. It's a larger meal for a larger group, and... And then everyone's going to say how great it was and go sit in the lazy boy and, and you're going to be doing the dishes. Um, you know, it's, it's not always easy. Um, and it's not just Christmas that makes us weary. Honestly, every day in a sin-cursed world, it has its own burdens, it has its own weariness, it has its own anxieties and addictions and stresses and conflicts. Uh, We see the heartbreak of war um, in Ukraine and in Israel and in Gaza. We, some of us have experienced even in recent weeks the pain of death or in recent years the pain of divorce or every other hope that we could imagine that's been deferred. And the scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Um, Here's what I want to say to those of us who are weary this morning, or for those of us who are on cloud nine this morning, but will be weary at some point in the coming week or the coming month or the coming year. The more weary you are, the better news this is. Let me say it again. The more weary you are, the better news this is. What is this thrill of hope that causes the weary world to rejoice? We're going to find the answer in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. John's already read it for us, um, but I just want to read the beginning of it again. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 18, chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married, meaning engaged in our culture, um, pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly, meaning break off the engagement in a way that wouldn't draw attention. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Joseph in the line of King David. Joseph, a descendant of the king. Joseph in the line of the long-awaited Savior. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. In fact, she'll give birth to the ultimate son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, a name that in Hebrew came from Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves, the God of the Scripture saves. And we're going to call him that because he will save his people from their sins. 
This is amazing news. This is the best news in the history of the world. This is why our weary hearts rejoice, because Jesus, the Savior, came to save us from our sins. But here's the deal. If you don't know and think and believe to your core that your sin problem is the deepest problem in your life, if you don't believe that your sin and the sins of other people around you and, and this, this life in the sin-cursed world is the thing that's stealing your joy and causing you sorrow and making you weary, then you're going to miss what amazingly good news this is. If you wake up in the morning and you see your sin the way that God sees your sin and like, this is killing me and yet I can't stop it, then when the prophet announces that, that, that Jesus has come to save you from your sin, you're like, yes, this is what I need rescue from. Okay? Our own sin, our own rebellion, it is our most desperate problem. If we don't see that, we're still going to be weary because that is what life in this world often is. It is wearying. But we won't be rejoicing because we don't understand what's being offered. But to we who trust in Christ, we who hope in Jesus, we're, we're people, we know the weariness of this world as well as anybody else knows it, and yet we still gather to sing and we gather to rejoice because we believe that our God has come to save His people, to save us from our sins. Amen? Amen. That is why we're here. And it's not just from the power of our own personal sins and addictions. It's not just from the, the penalty of our personal sins and the threat of hell. What we see in Scripture is that Jesus has come to redeem the entire world, to save the entire creation from the consequences of sin. Jesus came to redeem and to transform every corner of the creation that's been infected and corrupted by the fall. In the words of a song that we're going to sing in a few minutes, that's Joy to the World. The third verse of that song, some of you know it's my favorite. It says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And he's talking about thorns infesting the ground because in Genesis 3 we see not just the fall of humanity, not just the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, but we see that the creation itself was subjected to frustration. And we see that in this moment that, that God came and pronounced judgment on sin and he pronounced a curse on Adam and Eve. He also cursed the earth. He said, Adam, here's the deal. You're, you, you used to enjoy farming, but it's going to be painful toil from here on out. And instead of, of just producing fresh, ripe raspberries and strawberries and things that you can make into a smoothie, the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles, and it is going to be laborious toil. The curse infects every corner of the creation. The things that make you weary in life, whether it's your anxieties, whether it's your addictions, whether it's your own sin, whether it's the sins of other people around you, whether it's the despair of broken relationships and hope deferred, whatever it is, the scripture ties that back to the reality of this is life in a sin-cursed world. 
This is, this is how sin has infected and permeated and seeped into every corner of the creation. And yet what is proclaimed in the gospel is that Jesus has come to make his blessings flow. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Paul says in Romans 8.21, the creation itself, which had been subjected to frustration, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the children of God. What is this freedom of the children of God? The glorious freedom is what he said. I missed a word in there. The glorious freedom of the children of God. It's this freedom from the power of sin. It's this ability to say no to sin. It's this power of the Holy Spirit living in His people to allow us to turn away from our natural bent of rebellion against God, to see God for who He is, to believe that He is who He says He is and that His ways are good and His ways are right and His ways are pure and His ways lead to life and to say, yes, I want that. It's the ability to be gracious when we're wronged by others who don't see that, or other believers in our life who in this moment are not seeing that, and they're sinning against us, and it hurts, and it's painful, and yet we see how we have sinned against our God, and we say, yes, I will walk in the path that Jesus has modeled for me and that he has called me into, and I, man, he has forgiven much in me, and I can forgive much in you, and we can share in that joy, and instead of having this this spiral of you hurt me and I hurt you and you poke at me and I poke at you and we're all mad at each other and the holiday season stinks. It's this virtuous cycle of I feel wronged by you and yet I'm going to be gracious to you. And you're like, what in the world? Oh, maybe I'm, I can be gracious too. And it's not, it's not just some sort of moralism of Jesus' righteous example. No, it's the power of Jesus within us to actually allow us to choose to follow his example. And it is beautiful. And it is good. And it is the glorious freedom of the children of God. But again, what Paul says in Romans 8 is that this glorious freedom of the children of God, of those who have been adopted into his family by grace through faith, it's not just for his people. He says... This creation, the entire creation, will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the freedom of glorious freedom of the children of God. He's saying that Jesus has come to redeem even the dirt. And if Jesus has come with a passion to redeem and transform and make new even the dirt, How passionate is he to redeem and transform and make your life new? Amen? Amen. That's what we sing about. And again, if you're like, hey, my life is great, I got it under control, then maybe this doesn't feel like good news to you. But if you know the pain of living in a certain cursed world and you're even making a few connecting of the dots of how your own sin is contributing to it, then praise God, this is good news. Amen? He's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And that is why the weary world rejoices. And it's like I said before, the more weary you are, the better news this is. 
I want us to see one more point out of this passage before we're done. I want us to see how Jesus deals with his sin. Not, not literally how he deals with our sin on the cross. That's the Easter story. Um, if you want to be clued in on that, we can talk afterward. But particularly for those of us who find it hard to be honest about the depth of our sin, and by that I mean all of us, because all of us find it hard to be honest about the depth of our sin, I want us to see the gentleness of our God in dealing with weary sinners like us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we're being honest, how would we expect God to deal with our sin? When you sin against God, when you know that you've wronged God, what's your natural impulse? God must hate me, and he's just looking through his quiver of thunderbolts, and he's looking to throw one down on me and smite me right now because he's got to be so mad. I want to tell you, that is a fallen man's concept of who God is. That's the stuff of Greek mythology and Zeus. In other words, it's a fairy tale. It's a lie. The God of all creation is not sitting up in heaven waiting for us to mess up so that he can get us, so that he can strike us down. The God of all creation, in fact, left heaven to come to our neighborhood, to enter into humanity, to be God with us, because that is the way that he would redeem us. By joining with us in the weariness of this world. By becoming a man, by making himself vulnerable, by clothing himself with weakness, by living the life that we could not live and dying the death we deserve to die and being raised from the dead because death couldn't hold him. I couldn't, I'm sorry, we're to Easter already. (laughs) This is how God deals with our sin. By drawing near to the sinner, by comforting the sinner. By seeing us in our weakness and saying, I will join you in your weakness, so I will not join you in your sin. Okay? We, we worship a God and we celebrate a God who in this passage gets two names. The name Jesus, the Lord saves. And the name Emmanuel, God who is with us. How does he save us? He saves us by drawing near to us in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our weariness, and bringing us comfort and bringing us grace and bringing us love. And that is good news for people who are weary, and that is good news for those of us who recognize that our weariness comes right back to our doorstep and that it is our own sin and rebellion that is wearing us out more than anything else in this world. Amen? Man, that is what we celebrate in the Christmas story. And if we can't sing about that, then I don't know. We need to start over, okay? I got nothing else to say. I'm going to close this in prayer. going to welcome the band to come. A little bit more to say. Here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I'm used to closing the service with communion. We didn't arrange that here. 
but kind of the, the opportunity of communion, I want to take a similar opportunity here. I want us, I want us to have time to pray. I want us to have time. The, the communion elements, they just represent the gospel, that Jesus, that Jesus bled and died for us. His body broke and his blood shed. So man, I just want you to keep those elements before your eyes. I want you to keep that reality before your eyes of this God who has been gracious to you and this God who desires to draw near and be gracious to you even today. I just want to invite you as the band comes up and and, uh, gets ready to close us in song, I want to invite you to just do business with God, to spend time with Him, to talk to Him about who He is and what He has done and who you are and what you have done and how He loves you still, okay? If you got questions about any of that, um, i got no big plans for Christmas Eve other than talking to you. So um, take some time to pray and um, ask God to prepare your heart to sing. God, we just thank you for this time. God, we thank you for this time to gather as the body of Christ spanning congregations to worship you, to enjoy you, to celebrate the goodness of your grace. Oh, and God, I pray that we would be able to continue to celebrate. Take a few more minutes to to pray, to talk to God.